On today's show, it's Locked On Cavs mailbag time. Talking about Max Struess, coaching, and wins on this part one of two of the Locked On Cavs preseason mailbag. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, the music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astral Radio. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for his work on production. Today's show is all about mailbag questions. We have part two coming tomorrow. We have some spicier questions, I think, over there as it relates to Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. But we're going to start today with Max Struess, who uh, Jay and Rashor Striker 5861 on YouTube asked us. I have no idea what that is supposed to say, but my guy, thank you for submitting a question. Um, is Max Struess really a good addition, or are we trying to find our feel-good store factory, feel-good factory reset button for the lack of bench we had last season? Evan, I'll let you start with this one. What do you think of that question? How do you respond? So it is an interesting question because, yeah, when you look at the Max Struess signing through the lens of what the Cavs needed, uh, Altman said it, Mitchell said it, Bakerstaff said it, has admitted to it at this point. I think of it pretty much everyone across the board is like, yeah, we need more three. We as in the Cavs need more three-point shooting. We need to be able to increase our offensive impact and make more meaningful possessions, whether that's off-ball cut, screening, cutting, shooting. And like, yeah, you, you could say like this is, he's not the perfect solution for this team. I think if you go in through that mindset of thinking like, yeah, Max Struess is going to fix all of Cleveland's issues, he's not, but he's going to make things a lot better. Um and I'm, I'm just I'm interested to see how he's utilized with the Cavs because he did not he had a pretty defined role with the Heat. Um, but I wonder, does he get more freedom with the Cavs? Is there like a stylistic change? But like it, just on pure paper alone, like he's not the wholesale solution. And sure, maybe it makes you feel good because you got the best unrestricted free agent on the market if you're Cleveland for the price point that you paid at least. And yeah, like through that lens, it makes sense. But you also have to just maintain the thought process that it's not like fix all these issues either uh what about you i'm passing it back to you i i think i, I kind of re- look i think this is unequivocally a good addition i think if you're trying to talk yourself out of this i would inspire you or ask you to find a little bit more optimism and joy in your life like yes is it did you pay more than you maybe expected for max Struess when the free agency period started i think absolutely maybe the the, the price of that proverbial brick went up Yes, the Cavs bench last season wasn't good. This what like there's no denying the fact that this was this is a team that had a real depth issue. But Max Drews is a good basketball player who will who's going to shoot really well, who's highly competitive, who even if he's not a great defender, I think is going to hold up well enough on that end of the floor. Mm-hmm. Like this is a good addition. I I don't think there's an argument to me that this is a bad addition. Now we I, when I when I did a show with David Ramil, we had him on from Lockdown Heat. He did throw like a little cold water on this, and he was pretty practical about Struess. If you want to go back and hear more on that, it, you can easily find that episode in the feed. I just, even if there isn't like an all-star here, even if this isn't someone who's going to be the best shooter in the league or anything like that, you got a pretty darn good role player who's going to be your fifth starter, who's going to give you a skill you really need. This is a good addition. Even if there's a range of outcomes and he's not perfect, 
I can't see this not being a good addition. Like, let's let's have some optimism out here, folks. I mean, you and I are in agreement on that. Uh, it's a good addition just from the pure aspect of shooting and the fact that the Cavs do need reliable options outside of Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, and then Levert. Um, so, like, having a sixth guy and then you assume Niang is seventh and then that, that that's two more bodies the Cavs didn't have in the playoffs last year against the Knicks at I don't want to say it could have made the difference. I think it could have maybe helped them win a game or two more, maybe even win the series, or at least it would have maybe mm-hmm. gone to seven. Who knows? Just because the Cavs, there's that mental edge too, so you can't fully diagnose it. And that's the thing. Like Max Struess, George Niang, even Ty Jerome are guys that are going to be like the end-all, be-all solution. Like if you want to be going absolute crazy bonkers like last year when they got Donovan Mitchell, like that was their all-in move. Now they got Max Struess to complement it. And to your point, like we're in agreement that it complements everything the Cavs are doing. It complements everything the Cavs are building. And it, and it makes it cleaner for them offensively, um, even at the advent of maybe sacrificing some defensive polish just because you, you are losing that if Isaac Okoro isn't your star, starting small forward and you're starting Max Struess. But the offensive upside more than ba- counterbalances maybe the defensive loss he might have with having Struess at the three. I just I don't even think there's going to be that much of a defensive... Lost. Like I th- going back and watching like the minutes with the core last year, some and and looking at the numbers, the defensive scheme, no matter who was on the floor, I, is built around the two guys inside. It is built around Mobley and it is built around Jared Allen. Everything stems from those two guys. That is the structure. That is the the build. All you need Max Struess to do to be a competent defender on this team is to fight over screens. He's going to do that. To, to try. He's going to do that. To know where to be. I have zero doubt that he, he is going to be a guy that can do that. I don't... Th- I Like, yes, do you, are you still lacking the apex perimeter defender type, like the bigger forward type that I think you ideally would want? Sure. I also think that, like, Evan Moby is going to do a lot of that and has. We saw him defend Jimmy Butler, for instance, last year in a game against the Heat. And they got it, they got it, they had like the best events in the league last year without that kind of guy, right? Like, I think they're going to be fine. I think all this, like, like, Evan, I, I, I've been, when I saw this question and I started thinking of answers and prepping for this, I tried to think of like what would be like a bad outcome for sure based on what we know he is. And barring, barring him just being a heat, product like he just absolutely doesn't cut it in another situation i can't see this not being an impactful signing for cleveland i just like this is like it's not a home run signing because it's like a roll guy but it's like a double and like you just sometimes need to hit some doubles hit some singles with your moves you just do and this this is that and it's interesting you note that because uh recording this on wednesday and donovan mitchell noted that um after practice slash training camp on Tuesday um, that the, the Cavs are in a pretty good spot. Like they won 51, or no, it was Darius Garland, excuse me. They won 50 plus games last season doing their own thing. And like the pacing and the spacing was an issue. It kind of figured itself out and the Cavs learned to function within what pieces they had on the floor in any given moment. And now when you look at it, like you said, like this is a very, very good, uh, the top defensive team last season, uh, top 10 offensive team as well. Uh, there's going to be maybe an increase in offense, maybe the defense remains the same or even gets better compared to last year, remains at the top of the offense is going to start trying to meet the defense so the Cavs can have that like 
association of being like one of the most balanced teams in the league. And that's what Max Drews does for you because he's a role player that hits a clear defined role and need. And I'm just curious to see what other things he brings to the table now that I'll be watching him on a night to night basis rather than when the Cavs play the Heat, whenever I happen to catch a random Miami Heat. He is just going to be good. I, I think if you're going to tell me who was like the. Okay, we know the three most important players on this team. It's Garland, it's Mitchell, it's Mobley. Put them in whatever order you want, and depending on, on the day. It's, it's going to be them at different points. If you told me at the end of the year, we look back at this season, and Max Drews is the fourth most important Cleveland Cavalier to their success, would not shock me. That, that would not shock me if that's where we end up with looking at Max Drews' season, first season in Cleveland. It really wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me either. Um, I think there's going to be a bit of growing pains. I think to to circle back to this question, like it's not going to be the end all be all solution. I think a lot of it is what the Cavs can do internally and these role players complementing the uh, top players at the top. But yeah, Struce is just going to be beneficial. Like he's not going to be a guy who's averaging like 20 plus points a game, but he's going to give you 15 to 18 points per game and really steady three point shooting. He's really going to benefit from being the fifth highest priority on defense when I guess opposing defense at times. I and mean, there's going to be moments where like defenses shift their focus to him and the rest of his teammates will thrive for it. Like the, the Cavs got a really interesting linchpin who could be, I don't want to say a connector piece for either end of the floor, but at least he will be on offense for what the Cavs are trying to do with uh, two bigs on the floor at any time. All right, coming up next, let's touch on coaching. It's, it's I think, one of the hottest Cavs topics. People seemingly get very fired up about coaching. I get why, but uh, I'm going to throw some cold water on some of the things people are suggesting coming up after this. I'm being super fun today. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs, which are the most comfortable shorts, pants, whatever you can get from them. It's going to be the most comfortable thing that you buy. They make you look good. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. And they fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fixed this issue, fixed uncomfortable shorts by inventing a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And Bird Dog uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. They are functional for any occasion. Golf, going on a date, evening and evening out with your friends, the pool, working out, lounging, and going to work. Right now, go to birddogs.com backslash locked on NBA or enter our promo code locked on NBA at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That is birddogs.com backslash locked on NBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. All right. We got two questions today about coaching. Uh, one is from Deion Owens997, a regular commenter. For us on the channel, shout out to you, Dion, and then Hayden1042. Start with Dan's. He asked, need a critique of JB's coaching rotations and minutes distribution. And I'm not going to read the full thing, but that's, that's based on his question. And then Hayden asked, my question's about our coaching staff. I know they can only control so much, but I feel like they got, they got let way off too easy after our disappointing performance in the playoffs. My question is, what do you think they need to do this year to help the team improve? For example, better de- defense ideas or better offensive plays or better rotation, etc. Um, 
And then he asked, do you think they need to bring in an assistant coach to help improve the new coaching staff? To hit the second one very quickly, I understand the fascination with this. I understand like there's something sexy and cool about like, oh, they hired a new assistant to do X. The NBA just isn't the NFL. No, they, they, they aren't growing on and trees it, quite like that. Well, it's not, it's not even that. It's just like the structure of the NFL and how complicated some of it is means that like, even if Kevin Stefanski, for instance, to use the Browns as a point of comparison, is an offensive-minded head coach who has called plays before and oversees the offense, mm-hmm. you kind of need uh, Alex Van Pelt to do things. Um, defensively, you hire Jim Schwartz, you get a much clearer return on impact because the whole scheme changes and you also do some free agency signings and trades as well. But Jim Schwartz brings you something entirely schematically different that can reset everything, and he gets to dictate that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. That just like that doesn't that's not how it works in the NBA. No, it's not. And to your credit and to your point that the Cavs coaching staff is pretty flushed out. Like they they have certain specific like if you look at it from the NFL lens, like there's positional coaches for like quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Uh, defensive positions that like report to the offensive defensive coordinator even special teams like there are certain like coaches that work with certain players in certain positions and skill sets because it's a lot to manage uh, an nfl roster is much much more vast uh, comparatively to an nba roster but like from the lens of the Cavs, like they have jb bickerstaff they have greg butner as his buckner excuse me as his associate head coach then you have like dan Giro, you have sydney Lowe, you have um uh, others as well um and uh, jj outlaw and others as well and just like they do specific things that kind of blend together like i know Giro works pretty exclusively at the bigs luke walton that's another name he works a lot with evan mobley and just in terms of like shooting and like just kind of like showing him things like that and like practice time is much more finite in basketball than it is in football like football there's like a designated practice schedule every week leading up to a game it's a much more rigid and like routine schedule whereas basketball like there's going to be a lot of times where like it's when they practice, it's just film review and things like that because guys are physically trying to recover and deal with an 82 game grind. There also may not be opportunities or like JB is a coach that will sometimes give his players a day off just because they need that mental mental reset because of the grind that is an 82 game season. So yeah, like I understand, like you said, like it's a sexy thing. It's a conversation point as well, just to bring in an assistant coach could like, let's just say run the offense or do something like that. But the only way, like, I see the Cavs, like, bringing in another assistant at this point, like, that would do something that specific. It'd have to be a coach that has prior experience coaching an offense. And more than that, it had to seem like it's, like, a statement of saying, like, okay, JB, you're on really thin ice because if you mess up, we have the guy waiting in the wings at the, other, at the end of the bench just either pushing him to do better or if JB does slip, you can just bring in that guy that you brought in from the outside to then take over and just kind of start running the show. Yeah, I just, I don't think they're there. Like, this isn't like when no. they hired John Bayline and it's like, hey, JB is going to be here to be the guy who's been around the league longer and like, wink, wink, if things go badly, here's our next head coach. Or go to before, they hire David Blatt. They also bring in Ty Lue, who was the preferred candidate if the reporting at the time was true with of David Griffin. And they ultimately promoted Ty Lue when they fired David Blatt. That's just two times in a row that's happened for whatever reason um, about how the Cavs hired coaches. I also think like the coaching thing as it relates to this team is I I think you I think there are like a couple like really great NBA head coaches. I think there are a lot of ones who are very good and situation dependent. I think JB is probably a little bit more in that group than he's in the Spolstra, 
Ty Lue group, Greg Popovich group. He's just not, I don't think he's there. But I also think if you listen to what he said in media day, and we'll see how it actually turns out, I think he did, to his credit, and the whole coaching staff looked at what went wrong last year and identified a particular problem and are presenting that there's a solution. I think you just got to like, I understand there's anticipation. I understand that there is expectation and people get antsy. Mm-hmm. and want things just to be as good as they can be immediately. I think you also just have to remember that this this stuff takes time, and I think you got to just see what the evolution is before you're like, yeah, that guy's got to go. Like, I, that's unfair to me. Yeah, the demand for instant gratification does make it really hard for people, because I think it's just like, it's just how the world is now, is people want instant gratification are just like, and answer right away when it, it seems obvious um, when you're sitting on your couch or just like watch the game on a film by film basis. Um, but it's much more nuanced and much more difficult than that. And to answer the first question of what the Cavs need to do differently, like defensively, sure, they can modernize their scheme a little bit. I think they're going to kind of not run it back. There's going to be just natural internal growth and evolution from these players. But you don't really want to rock too much because you have a pretty rock solid foundation when it comes to your defensive identity. But to Chris's point, during media day, JB and Kobe Altman as well were saying like offensively, like it's a lot more movement. And during training camp, JB said like there needs to be like second, third, fourth reads for the guards to work with when they're initiating an offensive set or depending on how they're running a certain set, just so they can have those off ball screens and cuts to get easier looks and shot opportunities for everyone from the very top of Donovan Mitchell all the way down to like even Isaiah Mobley if he's getting burned on the floor too. Like the Cavs are trying to build a conducive system that's more motion heavy. And it makes sense because they have a lot of young legs and they've added some shooting this offseason. And like you said, like people want to see results now and they play preseason. Their first preseason game is next Tuesday. You're not going to see the full gamut, I don't think, but you will maybe get a better idea of what the Cavs are kind of cooking with and depending on how much the starters play, of course. But more than that, um, it just takes time. Like you need tangible data. You need like a lot of just raw footage to digest and understand because. I don't know. It's just the Cavs are like a weird evolutionary team. Like they, again, defensively, I don't think they need to do much. Just more so on the offense that they need to kind of adapt and modernize things. Also, like I can guarantee you, if things, let's just say they get bounced the first round again, and it doesn't look good and whatever, the you know what's going to happen? Ch- change will likely come at that point. Then you might be uh, you, you might be trying to figure out who's going to be the next head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like that's just how this works. Like it's not fair. It's a cold business, but like that's how it works. But I think you also just got to be like a little more empathetic with the people, yeah. even if you don't know them. Just like I don't know if you're going to put this much into it. Just like I don't know. Think about them as people for like five percent of the time instead of just going like full angry fan brain. That's just so, my opinion. Do what you want, but that's yeah, just me. I, I agree with you, but do you think the coaching staff bore enough culpability um and just what went wrong yeah. against the Knicks last year? Because I think them just hold like JB saying like losing sucks and then they're admitting like they're gonna retool and refine the offense instead of JB like saying the same thing of like, oh, the NBA's fetishized three-point shots and games are one of the paint and grind out ugly affairs. And he's like, I like winning ugly. Like, JB is showing signs of growth that maybe he didn't showcase early in Cleveland or maybe even his time with like Houston or Memphis as well, which is kind of, he's a young coach. Like, he can grow and adapt too. I mean, I, I think so. I think I, I think we came on this show and we're like, 
JB got out coached by Tom Thibodeau. I think that was a pretty clear talking point if you like listened and read a bunch of coverage nationally and locally. That's like not a, I mean, it's a knock against JB, but also like the Tom Thibodeau is also a very good coach. Like you can't discredit Tom Thibodeau either. I mean, but it's also like, (laughs) it's also like the, you know, Tibbs then went and got like absolutely dusted by Eric Spolster around too. Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone would argue that like Bickerstaff and the coaches like came out looking, you know, like a pants clean. They got, they got, no, pants. I don't think, yeah, I don't think like the coaching staff like came away. I just think like the Jared, I think Jared Allen was like punching bag number one. And I think everyone else just took fewer shots than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then people got worried about the Browns again and moved on. Like that's just, that's, that's yep. how it works. Yeah. Brownstown, so, baby. Know. Well, but again, like if, if the Cavs like mess up again this year, you know, who's like the easiest, like end of the day, full stop. Everything we've said here. Dang. If things don't go right this season, the easiest person that the easiest person for the powers to be in the organization to change, it's not the players, it's the head coach. Mm-hmm. That, that end of the day, end of the day, yep. that's and just the reality for, of it. For, for, for what it, for what it's worth, guys, um, JB doesn't say his players could have played when they're injured. So, okay. Uh, coming up next, one last question for this part one. Let's talk about wins. Someone asked us to run through the entire schedule and predict every game. Absolutely not doing that, but we're going to talk about wins over unders, which we did a little bit before, but let's do it again for the sake of the mailbag. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, which is the official sports book of Locked On. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. They have a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And you can visit FanDuel right now. Check out money lines, props, all of that stuff. NBA futures, if you're more into the NBA than the NFL, which you might be because you're listening to Locked on Cavs. All right, last segment. Uh, we got K-Dog with two Gs, LV, asking us to run through the schedule. Again, not going to do that. But, Evan, let's talk over-under. Um, I'm going to double-check sure. the over, and I believe it is the last time we looked from FanDuel. It was, f- it was 50 and a half, and I, th- I took the over. But I'm gonna, let me ask you this as a, as a way to think about this. Mm-hmm. We, know, we know that Milwaukee, obviously, is in Boston, I think, are the two teams we expect to be the best in the East. Well, Cavs, is immediate they are, like, the overwhelming favorites to win the title between those two teams. Yeah. Currently. Yes. You looking at um, you looking? You think about this with Cleveland regular season wins. How important to you is for Cleveland to try to smash their over? Not not from like obviously betting perspective, but you know fifty five and a half to chase 53, 54, 55 wins. How important do you think that is for the success of their season to get to that that win total? So it's an interesting question because. I have been on the record several times saying like I, I could care less about regular season success for this team going forward. Like Jared Allen said, like reiterated a somewhat similar point that this team will be judged on their playoff success. But 
I think after you and I talked about it and just kind of hearing people in the organization reiterate some points or touch on points that you've made in a different way as well, um, that like the, it's going to be a bit of a, like a figuring out process for this new offensive identity that Cavs want to run or maybe playing with more space and integrating these new role players and figuring out what does and doesn't work. So I, I still feel comfortable in saying like the taking the over in this situation just because that like the new rest rules that are in place as well kind of have an impact on things too. Mm-hmm. But um, I, if it's compared to last season, like I think 54, 55 is like their absolute ceiling and they finished third or fourth in the Eastern conference behind one of Milwaukee, both of Milwaukee and Boston. Excuse me. So I think that's right. But here, this is what I, how I would answer this. Let's say you're, you're, if you're Cleveland and you're trying to maximize this season in any way you can and trying to maximize what you are. I think going all out for as many regular season wins as you can get sets you up for that. I think the best case for Cleveland is to somehow end up in a situation in the playoffs where you maybe can... Like, you're probably going to get one of these teams in this in the second round. Yeah. But if you could just, like, avoid... Maybe you can get home court over one of them if you're the two seed. Like, if one... Let's say, like, Milwaukee gets the one seed and the Cavs get the two, and Boston gets the three. Boston's going to be favored to win that series. I think as of right now, that would be the expectation. But you give yourself a better chance if you are you have home court advantage in that series. Mm-hmm. It's at least something of an advantage. And if you chase all these wins, and maybe things just go wacky, and you, and you take this really seriously, and you end up in a situation where, hey, maybe you just had a crazy year, you have a little better luck than you did last year, and you end up as like the one seed or something because you just chased all yeah. these wins, and Boston and Milwaukee are 2-3. Like, congratulations, Cleveland Cavaliers. You have done exactly what you needed to do to make a run in the playoffs. You have taken care of, yeah, like, set yourself up. It's a springboard if you if you do it right. If that situation plays out where Cleveland is the one seed and it's a toss-up between Milwaukee and Boston for two and three, and then we'll just say, like, it's one of, like, Miami, New York, Indiana, a team like that, that's the cleanest path for the Cavs to reach the Eastern Conference Finals. And maybe they sneak into the NBA Finals because that 2-3 matchup that would likely happen between Boston and Milwaukee would probably be a bloodbath between those two teams because they're so loaded on either side of the ball in different ways. And if you're Cleveland, I think ideally, I've said this before, like maybe you want to draw Boston over you do Milwaukee just because they lack the depth and for some reason the Cavs had Boston's number last year. Sure, they have Drew Holiday now, so that changes the calculus a little bit there, but um and just milwaukee's a team they just struggled with uh up and down the floor um during the regular season so maybe that's just the lens you want to look at it through there but more so than that um yeah i think that's the cleanest path the Cavs reach the conference finals and that's if they really just like go full throttle on regular season wins in order to just kind of chase that goal and the only way like i see them not doing that is if they're like one health is a thing and like that's just something you can't control or two the Cavs find ways to like circumnavigate it and they prioritize energy and rest for the playoffs. And I don't know, it's going to be a weird thing just because the East is just so competitive this year that like you can't afford to take nights off and maybe settle for like a 48 and 34 record because the difference between 48 and 50 could be the difference between the third seed and maybe the fifth or possibly even sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's just end on this. Just again, on the record, maybe people missed that episode where we did some betting stuff and looked it over under his... Cavs at 50 and a half uh, at FanDuel, minus 122 for the over, plus 100 for the under. I'm I'm taking the over. I would take the over if I, if I was going to look at this 
Cleveland. I would say yeah. they're going to win more than that. I would hammer the over on this one just because of how the Cavs just kind of work as a team. And yeah, I just think with the new rules in place and again, how Cleveland works as a team, I'd still take the over on 15 and a half. Yeah, if you and go to I'm last year. I'm not getting betting advice, but if you want to throw somebody that way, it might be a worthwhile bet. Yeah, last year Cleveland was an had an expected win over 82 games of 55. They had the second worst expected win differential according to the cleaning the glass. Now I saw Kirk Goldsberry, who's brilliant and had a model up at the Cavs, like would dip a little bit this year in his model. Haven't seen why or, or if he written anything about that as of yet. But um, for what it's worth, like the Cavs last year, 55 win team based on their their net rating, which is plus five point eight, second best in the league over the course of the season. I think the they. Even if they're just even luck, and I think they're a little bit better with guys like Struson, I think they're set up to to be a team that wins 50, 52, 53 games somewhere in there. Yeah. Very, very possible. So, all right, let's end there. Yeah. Next up on the mailbag tomorrow, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland. Who has the higher ceiling? It's going to be a spicy one. We'll talk about that coming up in the next Locked Cavs. Thanks again to Jake Steven, as always, for producing. <laughs>